Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 11. I did read this last week, but did not really uh, dive into much of these last verses that, uh, that was included in the text last week. So we're going to just cover these last few verses of chapter 11. This is the end of a section. And chapter 12 actually is the end of this, this one section, but uh, it's just a summation of all the kings that were, that were uh, conquered by Moses and Joshua until we get to the part where the land is divided up as an inheritance. We're going to start in verse 15 of chapter 11. Let's stand together, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country, and all the Negeb, and all the land of Goshen, and the lowland, and the Arabah, and from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, as far as Baal Gad, and the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses." And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. May God bless the reading and hearing of his words. You may be seated. Now, sometimes we sing a hymn called, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand and Cast a Wishful Eye to Canaan's Fair and Happy Land where my possessions lie. Well, that's not liter literally true of any of us here today. We're not standing on the banks of the Jordan River, and we're not going to possess land there. It was true of the people in Joshua's day. Back in the early chapters of Joshua, we saw where they came to the Jordan River, and uh, they knew that the, across the, the Jordan River was the promised land. And, of course, you have the account there of how they entered into the promised land as the priest took the ark into the Jordan River and the waters piled up and the people crossed over on dry land. But why do we sing that song? Why do we sing, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie? Well, it's a metaphor, isn't it? It's a metaphor for, for death, for heaven, uh, and eternal life. Crossing the Jordan is a metaphor for death, not just in that song, but that's used uh, elsewhere. Uh, Canaan is a metaphor for heaven and eternal life with the Lord that we inherit from our Heavenly Father as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
You know, Jesus spoke of inheriting eternal life, inheriting uh, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven throughout the parables, for example. Heaven and the new heavens and new earth is our promised land that we inherit as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we, when we come to applying the book of Joshua to our current situation, we can draw analogies between what is written here about Israel's gaining their inheritance, the promised land promised to them starting with Abraham moving forward, and we can compare that to our experience as Christians seeking to enter our eternal inheritance, to get to that eternal promised land that God has promised for his people. Now, I mentioned before there are major sections of the book of Joshua, four major sections. Uh, first one is entering the land, their inheritance, entering their inheritance in the first couple of chapters there. And then this section that we've been in, securing their inheritance, conquering that land, getting it under their own power. And then in verses, in chapter 13 and following, there's the allocation of this inheritance. Each tribe is going to get their particular land. It's their inheritance. And then finally, there are some words about how they can keep the inheritance, how they can stay in the land. Of course, they don't do that. They violate that, and they're eventually ejected from the land. So these four major sections, we're here at the end of the second section where we see Israel has secured its inheritance. The land has rest from war, that last verse says. Well, I read this section in last week's sermon, as I said before, but there are at least three important points to make before we leave chapter 11. Three things to beware of if we want to inherit eternal life. And those three things that we need to be aware of, and, and these aren't maybe the best titles, but I'll explain. Number one, lethargy, to be lethargic. Number two, hardness of heart. And number three, unbelief or faithlessness. Well, let's look at these three in turn, and we'll see from the text that we have some positive examples and negative examples that we can look to and draw some conclusions from. Now, when I say lethargy, I could have chosen a lot of words here. It's whatever is the opposite of, of uh, persistence or perseverance. Uh, that's what we're talking about in this section. Lethargy is the quality or state of being drowsy and dull, like when you wake up in the morning or you're half awake in the morning. Listless unenergetic, indifferent, lazy, apathetic, or sluggish, inactive. These are uh, synonyms to uh, lethargy, and the antonym, the, the opposite, is endurance or persistence. Joshua is a great example of endurance and perseverance. Look at verse 15. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses' his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. Everything. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, this statement is on the heels of 
of these very short accounts of the various battles that Joshua led the people of Israel into where they conquered these kings. And so you just have this whole list of, you know, uh, he went from Lachish to Debir and then from Debir to Eglon and he wiped everybody out and conquered their kings and it's just like he just checking them off the list one after the other without much detail at all. However, if we look at verse 18, it tells us Joshua made war a long time with those kings. All these battles that we've been reading about over the last couple of weeks didn't happen in one summer. You know, you can read it and it kind of gives you that feeling that they just steamrolled their way through the promised land. No, Joshua made war a long time with those kings. He had been given the commission to go and take the promised land, to defeat these kings and make no treaty with anyone and, and wipe these people out because of their abominations. And, and he did it over a long, long period of time. As I mentioned, chapter 12 is just a list of all the kings that Moses that Moses conquered and then Joshua defeated. And then chapter 13 begins by saying, now Joshua was, was old and advanced in years. So, that, so you have Joshua fighting for a large portion of his life, taking over the promised land. Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. I <laughs> love that. And there, there remains very much land to possess. And that will take you into the book of Judges where they still were fighting for the land. Well, Joshua throughout his life was faithful and he persevered. He had a task before him and it tells us that he completed the task. When he sets out, you go back to chapter 1, the Lord tells him, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And Joshua had good success because he did that. He not only accomplished the task, but he obviously had a relationship with the Lord and he, he did not let the book of the law depart from him. He meditated on it regularly. And we see examples of that back in Deuteronomy and num Numbers where Joshua is with Moses in the tabernacle, worshiping the Lord and listening to the Lord. So the picture you get is, of Joshua is a man who is not lethargic. Uh, he's not lazy or apathetic. He's not taking time off. He's not disengaging from the battle. He's vigilant. He's persistent. And he engaged long term in the fight. It's a great example for us. You know, Jesus said, He that endures to the end will be saved. And we have numerous, numerous passages that we could cite that talk about the necessity of perseverance, of sticking with it, of, of day after day, not of meditating on the law of God, of, on God's word, of, of living for Jesus, of being engaged in the battle with sin, 
of, of living out your faith on a moment-by-moment basis and doing that to the very end. You remember the parable of the four soils that Jesus, that Jesus taught. You, know, you had the seed that fell on the rocky ground, and that's when the word comes to people. They don't even hear it. The birds come, take the seed. Satan comes and snatches the word away, and it doesn't register on the meter at all. And then they had the, the, the good soil, folks. You know, the seed comes in and it produces a crop. But those middle two soils that he talks about, the rocky soil and the, the, the seeds sown amongst the thorns, those are people that receive the word, as it says there in Mark 3, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 4, uh, the, the ones on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They don't have root there. And, and when it gets, the going gets tough, they bail out. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are people that are more interested in other things rather than God and his ways. They get distracted. Could you imagine if Joshua got distracted from his task? If he just, you know, oh, I forgot about the battles. The Canaanites would take over and infiltrate the Israelites, and and that would be it for the people of God. But he didn't. And we're called to not be those folks who bail when it gets difficult, who are, who are more enticed by the things of the world than the things of the Lord. At the end of the book, it tells us there that Joshua died. And in uh, 24, 31, it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So the keys to persevering in your faith are clear. Uh, Jesus is our Joshua, a greater, one greater than Joshua. Jesus is the one who leads us. And as long as we are looking to him, just like the Israelites, as long as they follow Joshua into battle, Joshua and all Israel with Joshua, you know, it says over and over again in 10 and 11, they were connected to Joshua and Joshua was listening to the Lord and doing his bidding well, Jesus perfectly did the will of God. Uh, he's perfect. He's our Savior. And as long as we are united to him and looking to him, and especially remembering all the work that the Lord did for you, remembering that regularly keeps the fire burning. You know, to remember that Christ laid down his life and bled and died for your sins that you so flippantly commit, that I so flippantly commit, that we just, sometimes we just feel like checking out and being lazy or lethargic or not wanting to engage in the battle with sin. That's not being like Joshua. That's not enduring in the faith. Jesus died for those sins because he loves us so much. Well, that's one way we can seek to fuel the fire of perseverance, to remember all that the Lord had done for us and not be like others who fade away when the going gets tough or get distracted by the things of the world. Well, the second thing that we see here is hardness of heart. This is a negative example that we have here, verses 19 and following. 
It says, There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Gibeonites. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, if you look up hardness of heart in Scripture, um, there's a lot of different examples. The, the first example you see, real, a real uh, prevalent example you see is in Exodus with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, when Moses was trying to get the, him to let the people of Israel go. It says there that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it repeats that over and over again. Either the Lord hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And what we have there is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's sovereign over the situation. We read here, he hardened the hearts of these people. He had devoted them to destruction because of their abominations. But they bear responsibility for their own sins. They're the ones who persisted in their unbelief. They're the ones who rejected the right ways. And their hearts were hardened. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For, for we have come to share in Christ if we indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We can be, believers can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we give in to sin's temptations, we become callous and it becomes easier and easier to commit those sins. And every one of us has probably experienced that. The Bible makes it clear that those who persist in sin and unbelief God gives them over to that. So that's that dynamic of God hardens, but we harden our own hearts. In Romans 1.20, it says uh, that God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So they persisted in unbelief, and God says, you want that? There you go. Take it. Their hearts were hardened to the Lord. They could see in all of creation that there's a creator, but they did not want to worship him. They worshiped the creation rather than the creator. And God gave them what they wanted. Another example, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Sin is a serious thing. 
and it can cause our hearts to become hardened. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is warning them over and over again. Take care. Care for one another, brothers, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, these people in Canaan were so hardened in their sin, Israel was coming in like a steamroller. You know, they'd heard all the stories from beyond the Jordan, and they saw Jericho collapse under the Lord's power, yet they would not repent. They would not say, hey, maybe we're, we've done something that this God, Yahweh, is unhappy with. Maybe we should turn to him. But no, they persisted in their unbelief and fought with Israel and so were destroyed. Hardness of heart is a serious thing. And it comes because we succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. So if we want to persevere in our faith, be aware of hardness of heart. Faith and repentance. Continuously repent of sins. You know what? Joshua knew his enemies and he destroyed his enemies faithfully. Maybe he had a bit of an advantage because he could, you know, they were physical enemies. They were nations and kings and cities that, were, that he was called to destroy. Well, it would behoove every one of us to sit down and say, who are my enemies, my spiritual enemies? Not some demon out there or, you know, we know the world at large is, the temptations that we face, but what are my sins that I need to, to deal with, that I need to put to death, that I need to turn away from and ask the Lord to give me strength to fight for me, to help me win the battle with that sin? You know, as, the longer we play with these sins, the harder our hearts get and the more difficult it is to throw those things to the side. So repentance... Practicing repentance is an important thing that sometimes we don't practice as we should. And faith, remembering what God says about those sins in, in our lives and believing that and living in light of that. So hardness of heart, beware of that. Keep a short account with the Lord. Well, thirdly and finally, unbelief. Uh, verse 21 and following, and this is really interesting to me. The last thing, the last thing that is recorded about the, the conquering stage of this, of, of Joshua's going into the land is his defeat of the Anakim. And it's not accidental that it's here. Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah. For all the hill country of Israel, Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and Ashdod did some remain. That's the land of the Philistines. Goliath was obviously one of the descendants of the Anakim, a giant. Giants in the land. Now why is this here? Well, do you remember why the first generation, the people who left Egypt... Why didn't they go into the promised land? They could have gone into the promised land within like two years of leaving Egypt. They traveled across and they came to the edge of the promised land. They sent in the spies. Remember the, the 12 spies, each from one of the tribes of Israel? But only two of them came back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb. And we'll talk about Caleb in the next week or so. But Joshua and Caleb said, yes, let's take the land. The rest said, oh, no. 
There's giants in the land. Let me read it, Numbers 13. They told him, this is the spies that they sent, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. You know, they brought back this big cluster of fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. That's the Anakim. That's plural for Anak. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They're on the very edge of the promised land. And just think about what they had seen up to that point. Amazing things that the Lord had done for them. They had the ten plagues while they were in Egypt. They, they left Egypt and walked through the Red Sea on dry ground and they saw the most powerful army in the world at that time, the Egyptians swallowed up by the water. They, they had a pillar of fire by night and a, a cloud to lead them along the way. They had manna. They, you know, the word manna means what is it? They don't even know what it is. It's obviously something miraculous that, the, that God is providing for them. They had quail provided for them. They had water from the rock. They had all these things that they had seen and witnessed and experienced. And yet here they are on the very cusp of the promised land and they begin to doubt that the Lord is going to give it to them. <laughs> what has the Lord been doing up to this point? Why would they abandon it at this point? Unbelief. They did not trust the Lord. Deuteronomy is Moses speaking to this last generation as they're dying off because God said, you're not coming in. That's why we read that long call to worship from Psalm 95. It says, don't harden your hearts. These people didn't enter into their rest, into their inheritance, into the promised land because they rebelled against me. And so Moses in Deuteronomy 1 is preparing this next generation to go into the promised land. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. He, he recounts the whole situation 40 years ago. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. 
See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let's send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The things seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Why in the world would they believe that? After all that the Lord has done for them. Where are we going up, they said. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven, and besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You've seen it happen before. He'll do it again. Why would you doubt now that he's unable to help you or unwilling to help you? The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by way you should go. And the Lord gets angry. He goes on to say and says, you're not going to have it. But here's, here's the best part. He says, uh, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account, that's Moses, and said, you shall also not go in there. And he struck the rock twice. But this is it. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. As for your little ones, who you said will become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. You know, their excuse was, oh, these big people are going to eat up our children and destroy them. No, God says, they're going to be the ones to take it, because you didn't believe, and they do. They trusted the Lord. Well, it's a severe warning to us to persevere to the end and to trust the Lord through all the circumstances of life, the difficult circumstances, the difficult tasks, the, the overwhelming odds that we see around us. Think of Joshua and all that he had seen. I mean, they kept saying over and over again, the Lord is fighting for us. The Lord has given this into your hand. The Lord wants to give his people their eternal inheritance. Continue to trust him. He will get you there. He will get you there. Don't 
get to the edge of the promised land and say, I give up. God is bigger than any problem, circumstance, enemy that you have. He has given you his Holy Spirit and he's promised to sanctify you, to make you holy. Yes, we have to go fight the battle. We've got to go up and take possession of that land in a, in a sense, even though it's given to us by grace. We do have to fight the fight of sin. We have to put sin to death. We have to continue to trust the Lord and, and walk with him and follow our Joshua, Jesus Christ, faithfully. So don't give up. Like the people in Hebrews 6, where the writer of Hebrews warns them, it is impossible in the case of those who have been once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now these people weren't truly believers, I don't believe. But they, they were very close to the truth. They knew the truth. They'd heard the gospel they had tasted of these good things. They've even shared in the Holy Spirit and the workings of the Holy Spirit. Tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come even. But then they fell away. They gave up. It got too difficult. Or other things seemed more important. Don't let that happen to you. If you want to inherit eternal life, watch out for lethargy, laziness, Apathy. Watch out for hardness of heart. Continues to repent of sin and seek to put it to death and beware of unbelief. Where are we not trusting the Lord? Where are we thinking, oh, God, is, he's abandoned me. He hasn't. He doesn't abandon his people. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures that so encourage our hearts and challenge us, Lord, who is sufficient for these things. We feel our own weakness. Lord, as we sang earlier, we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But Lord, we pray that you would continuously draw us back as you do. Even though we're faithless, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. You're always a faithful God. Your mercies are new every morning. I pray, Lord, that everyone here today would know your mercy and your grace. Soften our hearts. Grant us faith and repentance. Help us to keep our hand to the plow and persevere through all the changing scenes of life and trouble uh, or in joy. We pray, Lord, that you would get us to that land. Lord, we're bound for the promised land. We pray that you would get us there. And we thank you that you've promised that if you've begun a good work in us, you will complete it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.